The Tennessee Legislature is set to return for its 60th special legislative session. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of August 19th. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. This week, we, of course, are going to be looking out for the tail end of the week, uh, which will be filled with tons of legislative news uh, ranging from uh, what we think will be a, a new House Republican Caucus chairman to a special session to uh, finally replace uh, former House Speaker Glenn Cassida. So we've got a lot to cover on this episode. Uh, Later on, we will be discussing previous special sessions with Eddie Weeks in a can't-miss interview. Who He is a uh, legislative librarian. But first, off the bat, Natalie, um, this is a significant legislative session in some sense because uh, the, the aimed goal is to take up these Supreme Court rules and to formally uh, uh, swear in Cameron Sexton. But there are uh, there's probably one overshadowing uh, issue that could happen. This. Yeah, well, there's still a big question mark over whether they're actually going to hear a resolution that Democrat Representative Gloria Johnson has filed to expel David Byrd. Uh, we had a, an episode about one of his, um, uh, an activist working against him right now who's calling for him to resign last week on Grand Divisions. But essentially, David Byrd has faced calls the last year uh, year plus from activists saying a a credibly accused child molester, as they like to say, should not be in the House of Representatives. So Gloria Johnson has filed this resolution um, saying he should be expelled for his his past conduct. And it still remains to be seen what's going to happen. Uh, Republican House leadership has largely avoided saying how they're going to handle this resolution. Uh, is it going to be uh, put up for a vote? Um, it certainly would put those lawmakers in a difficult position if it is, because Gloria Johnson is not a popular Democrat among Republicans and supporting something she brings wouldn't really be something they want to do. At the same time, a lot of them don't want to go on the record about um, endorsing David Byrd or or not. And or perpetuating this continued discussion that has plagued Republicans for more than a year now, right? David Byrd has become almost t- as toxic as Glenn Cassida, as before that, uh, Jeremy Durham, um, just by being uh, a part of the discussion. Now, that's not with all members. Of course, we are still seeing, oddly, some House members take photos with David Byrd oh, yeah. and share he them online. appeared in all kinds of photos this week. But uh, when when you are going back to your district and maybe having to face a mailer that could come up in, in next year's election or uh, just, you know, if you hold a town f- hall forum, if this is on the local district's mind, why are you supporting this accused uh, child molester? Uh, it, it's a difficult answer. Yeah. And, and it, you know, we may not know until literally the day before what's going to happen this, with this resolution or maybe not until the day of. Um, you know, from from what I understand, there's been lots of back and forth with the legal department at the legislature. And can we can we even um, theoretically expel someone this way? And looking back at what happened with Jeremy Durham and, and pending lawsuits there and. Um, and there was another case before that where uh, the legislature expelled uh, Robert Fisher in 1980, where they kind of took a similar approach, where they had, uh, uh, adopted a resolution uh, to form a special committee uh, who then recommended to the full House 
that they should expel him. He was uh, the first member in, in over a century to be expelled from uh, the Tennessee General Assembly. It, it will be interesting to see how the current uh, uh, you know, new administration, how um, uh, the incoming folks, including Cameron Sexton, decide to handle uh, this resolution with Gloria Johnson. Yeah. So there's there's the the process and the legal questions, which we talked about. And then what you just brought up, there's also the, the point here that Cameron Sexton has said he isn't interested in seeing David Byrd be expelled. And so, you know, as soon as he's sworn in as speaker, if if that's when if that's the point in the, the special session that the resolution would come up, um, it doesn't look like Cameron Sexton would be going out of his way to make sure that something like that happens. There there is speculation, though, that it could happen before he takes office. Right. Sure. I, I've heard that Bill Dunn might want to do something. But thus far, we have gotten no, uh, uh, you know, indication that Speaker Pro Tem and interim Speaker Bill Dunn will do anything on David Byrd. Yeah, lots of crickets from him on that. Meanwhile, the Senate will be holding a luncheon during the special session. They're going to be sitting back with their feet, Got you know, hanging in the absolutely air. Absolutely nothing to do. Uh, they will all make the, the trip to Nashville. And we clarified, uh, because the Senate already passed these Supreme Court rules, they literally have nothing to do but pass resolutions yeah. honoring people. Sure, and have a luncheon. <laughs> So it, it will be very interesting to see that dynamic and the difference between those two. Of course, the legislature might decide to, you know, um, make it a one-day session. They could make it a multi-day session. I would anticipate it trying to be contained to just a Friday. Um, but you never know when the legislature's in town. As I believe Mark Twain said, protect your wallets and, and all your possessions because they're coming back. Joining us on the podcast to uh, discuss previous special sessions is Eddie Weeks, a legislative or the legislative librarian. Thanks for coming on, Eddie. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the the being in there. I'm it. That's it. <laughs> So we wanted to, to talk about uh, previous special sessions, given that there have been uh, a variety of them ranging from uh, taking up, uh, you know, issues from reapportionment to the Civil War and uh, the State Fair. Uh, we don't really have an agenda, so I want to just kind of get into your, you know, your knowledge base of uh, special sessions. On the way over here, we were talking about uh, some of the wild stuff that's gone on in them. So, so kind of... Uh, Tap into that knowledge that you have. Wonderful. Okay. Well, let's start with Tennessee's Constitution of 1796, the very first state constitution. That constitution in Article 2, Section 9 provided, he may on extraordinary occasions convene the General Assembly by proclamation and state to them when assembled the purpose for which they have been convened. And in 1796, Governor John Sevier used that power for the first time to call the General Assembly into its very first extraordinary session. He, he sent out the proclamation on July the 4th, 1796, the 20th anniversary of the creation of the United States. The purpose for them convening was to elect their representative in Congress. Tennessee was now a state, completely, incredibly, there was a new state in the Union. Tennessee's next constitution was in 1835. That constitution in Article 3, Section 9 declared, he may on extraordinary occasions convene the General Assembly by proclamation and shall state to them when assembled the purposes for which they shall have been convened, but 
they shall enter on no legislative business except that for which they were specifically called together. And thus, this is the requirement that essentially the governor issues that call and they stick to that call, right? And yes. That still exists today. Yes. The current constitution from 1870, this section has never been changed since then. Article 3, Section 9, he may on extraordinary occasions convene the General Assembly by proclamation in which he shall state specifically the purposes for which they are to convene, but they shall enter on no legislative business except that for which they were specifically called together. Okay, so let's let's get into... Um the, the juicier part. So we, we, we have a frame of reference now for how this works and, and, and what these special sessions are and how they're called. Um, but you, you've studied the special sessions that, that Tennessee has had, the, what, 59 so far? Um, what are some of the, the moments in history um, during extraordinary sessions in Tennessee that have been particularly noteworthy or potentially entertaining Let's go with entertaining. Okay. Because <laughs> I've got a great one from 1913. In 1913, Governor Ben Hooper called the General Assembly into back to back extraordinary sessions. He sent out the first proclamation on August 29th. They convened on September 18th and met until September 27th. He then sent out another proclamation on September 30th to call them back into extraordinary session on October 13th. The somewhat exasperated General Assembly then sent House Resolution 5 to the governor. Be it resolved that it is the desire of members of the 58th General Assembly that Governor Ben W. Hooper be and is hereby requested not to call another <laughs> extraordinary session of the legislature of the 58th General Assembly to meet earlier than December 1st, 1913, in order that the members may have time to work out some clothes and get up some winter's wood. Oh, That's wait, it said good. that? <laughs> to get some clothes? Literally. Oh, wow. House Joint Resolution, or House Resolution 5, Second Extraordinary Session, 1913. And it worked? He didn't try to call another one that year? He did not try any more during his term in office. <laughs> Uh, what about some of the more memorable ones? Of course, there's one uh, that you essentially uh, we ratified uh, the 19th Amendment here, uh, allowing uh, women to vote. Um, uh, what else has, has been kind of the notable special session uh, related historical moments? Well, that one is absolutely incredible. Just everything that was happening both in Tennessee and in the nation. The year before that, 1919, women had been granted the vote in Tennessee for presidential electors, not for members of the General Assembly, not for most county offices, but they were granted the right to vote for presidential electors. The next year, 1920, the governor calls the men of the General Assembly into that extraordinary session for the purpose of ratifying the 19th Amendment to the federal constitution. That was not the only thing in that call though, Governor A.H. Roberts listed 142 separate items for the legislature to consider, and then at the end included the phrase, only matters of compelling interest are included in this call. <laughs> Wait, he included 140 in, for the special session? 142 separate items that they could consider. That's, that's a pretty interesting move that the governor can kind of set that specific agenda, right? That they can just say, this is what you're limited to. 
well, they're limited to those topics, but what they do with those topics is entirely up to them. Mm. And only an attorney can determine if a particular measure is under that call or not. Interesting. There was, there was one on the list, Joel pointed this out, uh, was it what, 1868, in which they were meeting to take up matters related to the Ku Klux Klan? Yes. What, what was that about? That was Governor William Brownlow, and that was Reconstruction. Oh, okay. So what exactly were they actually trying to to make a resolution on regarding the KKK, or what were they um, setting out to do there? It's my understanding they were trying to make it illegal for groups to meet masked, that you could not gather without being publicly known. Which is, which is I guess, still on the books today and is, is not always uh, consistently enforced by by the police, but that's interesting. So that that law dates back to a special session then, at Reconstruction. Yes, and so th- th- there was another one I wanted to touch on was uh, related to before and after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, why why did the legislature have to convene for those? And what was the unique a- aspect of the Tennessee uh, capital during the Civil War for people that may not know? Well, the capital had just been completed in 1859. And now in 1861, they were trying to get out of the Union. They had joined back in 1796. In 1861, Governor Isham Harris called the men of the General Assembly into an extraordinary session to have them debate whether or not the state would remain in the Union. They put the vote to the people, and the vote was against secession. Tennessee remained in the Union. And then came Fort Sumter. Governor Isham Harris called the men back into an extraordinary session on April 25th, 1861. Another vote was taken. This time, the vote went in favor of secession. Tennessee seceded from the Union. And July the 1st, 1861, that extraordinary session adjourned and the state prepared for civil war. But not all of them have been so morose. (laughs) 1935, the Great Depression... There was an extraordinary session called, and Senate Resolution 1 is just wonderful. Whereas the extraordinary session of the 69th General Assembly will have some very hot revenue measures and appropriations, and whereas the members of the Senate and employees are dry, (laughs) therefore be it resolved that the... that the chief clerk of the Senate be requested and authorized to install electric fans <laughs> for the comfort of the senators, employees, and guests during the extraordinary session. That's very nice. <laughs> July 1935. <laughs> um, there was one that you uh, mentioned to me briefly uh, where somebody died in the middle and was shot in the Capitol. Is that right? Or where was this? It happened in the Capitol. Wait. There was a murder in the Capitol? During a special session. Extraordinary session. The year was 1895. 1895, Governor Peter Turney called the men of the General Assembly into an extraordinary session. They were to consider uh, the prison lease system or the convict lease system. This was where businesses could actually rent out convicts and put them to work for that business. It was involuntary servitude. So it's, it's kind of like a work release program, but, but specifically for businesses where they c- could take these, yeah, involuntary servitude. Wow. Yes. Okay, can we get to the murder part of this? Eventually. <laughs> it's a good story. You've got to hear all of it. Um, this involves the Coal Creek Prison. The Coal Creek Prison was built for one reason, to supply miners to the Coal Creek coal mine. 
So Andrew Vaughan was the warden of the Cold Creek Prison. The man that he had replaced as warden was a man by the name of John W. Kirk, who was now the superintendent of prisons. The other two men involved are a man by the name of O.B. Paxton, who had been a guard at that prison. He had been hired by John W. Kirk and had been fired by Andrew Vaughn. The fourth man involved was a man by the name of J.T. Davis, who was a friend of O.B. Paxton. And in 1895, the governor called the men of the General Assembly into this extraordinary session to discuss the prison lease system. The governor was trying to end this system. The warden of the Cold Creek Prison came to Nashville, since he was a very important witness involved in all this. And while in Nashville, he was coming to meet the superintendent of prisons, J.W. Kirk. The problem is, the first man he saw in the Capitol was not J.W. Kirk, but was O.B. Paxton, the guard who he had fired. The two men started yelling at each other and fighting in the hallways of the Capitol. And Mr. Davis stepped in between the men as he saw his friend, O.B. Paxton, being beaten up by this man. Well, Vaughn hit Mr. Davis with his walking stick. Mr. Davis took great exception to this, wrestled the cane away from Mr. Vaughn. The two men were eventually separated, and Vaughn was taken into the state controller's office and kept in there to try and cool down. Vaughn, though, demanded his walking stick back, and Mr. Davis, very much still enraged, charged into the controller's office and struck Vaughn with a walking stick. This was the wrong thing to do. Mr. Vaughn then pulled his pistol as Mr. Davis tried to step in between the men to break them up. Vaughn fired. Davis was actually wounded by powder burns to the face, hmm. but John W. Kirk the superintendent of prisons, was shot in the head in the state capitol building. He died a few days later, and it all happened in that state capitol in an extraordinary session in 1858. Do you know, is that the only murder that's ever occurred in the capitol? This, now, this, this is a challenge on the spot. <laughs> that occurred inside the capitol, the only murder... I would have to say yes. But outside, there is another, right? There have been suicides outside the Capitol building. One representative dropped dead of a heart attack on the floor of the house. That's all I can think of at this time. Okay. And then people have also died in Cordell Hole building, correct? I don't know that for certain. No? Because, okay, well, we, we've heard that... that Potentially that something happened on the ground floor, which is why I believe there's a ghost, but, you know, d don't worry about <laughs> well, it. Well, the state morgue was in the Cordell Hull building. Really? Dead bodies from all over the state were sent to that building for autopsies. So maybe there yeah, are no, ghosts. No, us in the press room. We're, we're The press room on the ground floor, we, we believe that there could be a ghost. I wouldn't say we. It's not <laughs> so, a group Some of thing. us. There are some. <laughs> well, also in that building, there were sheep. There were sheep. live sheep kept in the Cordell Hull building oh, wow. by the Department of Public Health. That's right. They yeah. were there for uh, research purposes, tuberculosis research. It seems sanitary. So that if they were not necessarily live for very long, 
But if there are ghosts there, we do not know if they go boo or if they go bad. <laughs> excellent point. You know what? No, Eddie, the ghost that we hear in the hallway sounds more like the bad. <laughs> there we go. I think you've solved this for us. <laughs> it could be the sheep. So let's go back to uh, special sessions. There was one in 1958 um, to... Uh, impeach a sitting judge at the time. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Ralston Schofield. He was actually charged by the federal courts before the legislature took up the case. Uh, he was convicted by the state. Well, he was uh, impeached by the state house, convicted by the state senate. He was disbarred as an attorney, removed from his judgeship. This was in Hamilton County. The electors of Hamilton County then re-elected him. At, uh, circuit judge, which did not require a law degree, which was fortunate since he had been disbarred. So he still had quite a bit of support in Hamilton County, at least, but he could no longer be a state judge. What about um, going back to to Ralph Davis? That is a, a historic example of um, when you have had a, a speaker who was removed from speakership, um, during a was it was it a special session? It was it was an extraordinary session. It was not an extraordinary session. It was during the regular. It was during session. the regular session. Okay, um, but he he wouldn't. He essentially wouldn't come for for this no, for no, this no. vote. He was there. He was there. He was present. He was the speaker at the time. He had been charged with bribery by a local court back in his home district in Shelby County. He was asked to step down from his speakership by the legislature. He refused to do so. They then drafted a resolution removing him from office. He reconsidered and agreed to step down. The Speaker Pro Tem took his place, and that's the story of uh, Davis. Hmm. Any other uh, notable things in the 59 uh, special extraordinary sessions that we've had that you think people would be interested in hearing about? One of my favorite ones was 1944. It's during World War II. 1944. Governor Prentice Cooper called the men of the extra, called the men and women by this point into an extraordinary session to convene on Monday, April 10th, 1944. What they were to consider was the amendment of the election laws of the state of Tennessee so as to provide means by which citizens of this state serving in the armed forces of the United States may vote in the primary and general elections held in this state. Not even war could stop elections from happening. <laughs> wow. I, I realized what I was referring to. Uh, it was 1842 when uh, Speaker Burchett Douglas wouldn't show up for the special session that the governor had called. Are you familiar with, with this case? Not as well. I wasn't around at that time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, from, from my research, this was, I guess, uh, a couple months ago, it, I, I found looking at our archives, um, I think it was the Nashville Republican banner article that you had maybe pulled for me. It said that that Governor James Jones had called the special session. Uh, the speaker, uh, the House Speaker at the time, was nowhere to be found. Um, so the governor then somehow managed to get the guy to resign uh, by the next day and made that announcement the while they were all waiting on him. The governor show. simply declared that the man had resigned his office. Okay, so so he hadn't actually really resigned. The governor just said it happened. The governor said that it happened. The governor said that he had received the correspondence saying that the Speaker of the House had resigned his office. Well, that's one way to do it. <laughs> so as we look to wrap up, um, uh, again, um, 
you know, these are, are kind of all over the place, remarkable, extraordinary sessions. It's your uh, day job, I guess, to keep track of this and other things. Um, what, uh, what, if anything, are kind of like the, uh, is there a grand lesson that comes out of extraordinary sessions or, or something you can share with people as, as you know, um, we're looking at more? Everyone is unique. Everyone is its own entity. They have, as you said, covered everything from the creation of the state, preparation for the Civil War, the aftermath of the Civil War, World War I, World War II, the Great Depression. This is literally history being made. This is the 60th time in the history of this state that this General Assembly will convene an extraordinary session. History will be made here no matter what happens. And Eddie will be there to watch it. He's going to be observing from, are you going to be on the ga- in the gallery that I day? will be in my office. You'll be, oh, you'll be watching it on a live stream. <laughs> I'll be watching, I'll be watching it I on the live stream. you need to come see it with your own eyes, Eddie. I'll be prepared for any email that pops up saying, <laughs> when was the last time that we did this? Which might happen with us. <laughs> Absolutely. And we will be there hopefully documenting it all too, so. That's the plan. We appreciate you coming on. Of course. Thank you for your time. After Eddie Weeks left the office, he realized he forgot to plug a YouTube channel where you can learn more about Tennessee history. Go to YouTube.com and search for TGA TV in all capital letters, and you'll see presentations from Eddie Weeks on everything from prohibition to the history of legislative staffers. And now, finally, our notebook dump. Last week, the Registry of Election Finance decided to open up an audit of former House Speaker Glenn Cassida and former State Senator Bill Ketron. The probe will look at their campaign finance committees and their political action committees from 2018 to present. The Senate Judiciary Committee last week completed two days of summer study hearings for the heartbeat bill, which is now sort of being referred as the conception bill. Uh, An amendment to that heartbeat bill would essentially ban all abortion in Tennessee. Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally slowed slowed that bill from moving through the Senate this past session. Uh, Its fate remains unknown, uh, but the summer study did conclude last week. Representative Patsy Hazelwood has thrown her name into the race for House Republican Caucus Chairman. She joins Representatives Michael Curcio, Jeremy Faison, and Jerry Sexton in the race. The caucus will vote on who will replace Cameron Sexton in that position on Thursday. The governor, most of his cabinet, and local leaders from 15 distressed counties around Tennessee met last week in Perry County for the first ever Governor's Rural Opportunity Summit. Uh, It allowed the governor to hear from local leaders about what issues they're facing in their counties and how executive departments can work to improve conditions in rural Tennessee. That's all we've got for Grand Divisions this week. As always, you can find us on Tuesdays, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Please continue to rate us on iTunes. Uh, Check us out on Twitter at Grand Divisions 3. As usual, this podcast is produced by John Garcia and Erica Whitney. Uh, Pending any unusual things that go on at the special session, we will be back at our regular time next Tuesday. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. See you next week.